Hello and welcome to Design Untangle with me, Chris Mears. And this episode, I've once again replaced my Colombian co-host with someone from somewhere just as exotic, which is Devon. Uh, I'm joined <laughs> by Josh Harris, who is a product owner slash manager when we'll get into that soon. Uh, how are you doing? Hey, Chris. I'm very good. Thank you. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, it's pretty exciting to be here. Yeah, I'm pretty pumped. <laughs> you sound pretty pumped as well. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so we interviewed you on the UX Review a while ago, probably like a year, two years ago now or something. I've got it open in front of me so I can remember what I said. Yeah, it was like a bit over a year ago. Yeah, excellent. Um, so no doubt your answers to the questions today will be a lot better, a lot more <laughs> <laughs> well thought out. A nice plug for that, that blog post. <laughs> yeah, plugging that hard. Um, but yeah, so I thought it would be good to get a practicing kind of product owner slash manager onto the podcast to answer some questions that people may have about the role and what you guys do. Um, so let's get the job title out of the way first then. So is there a difference between a product owner and manager or is it the same shit? Yeah, that's, it's like a classic, uh, you know, in the sort of product manager or product owner uh, corners of Twitter, like the classic uh, conversation to have. I think probably it's pretty meaningless. Um, my my like take on it is I think product owner is like a, a job title kind of role. Like I think it's in Scrum. It's a classic thing to have a product owner. That's an important part of scrum and and having this this position um mm -hmm. whereas product manager is a bit more of a broad uh kind of catch-all term for like the function that that stuff needs to do but they're really they're just just job titles i think probably pretty similar to uh, you and carla have talked before about in ux you know like are you service designers or ux designers or product designers or ui designers or whatever i think it's a pretty similar kind of meaningless distinction uh, a lot of the time yeah, who even knows what we are anymore <laughs> exactly <laughs> Okay, so what does your typical week look like as a... Well, what do you prefer to be called? Product owner, yeah? Uh, product manager, product manager. Product manager, okay. Because you're <laughs> a big cheese, kind of a big deal. Yeah, you've got to get the manager in there. <laughs> um, yeah, so what does your typical week look like? Uh, so, I mean, I think a typical... Um, one of the kind of uh, uh, characteristic things of, of product management is that probably unlike... Uh, design uh, positions or development positions there's not so much kind of concrete output like you're not sitting down and doing this design or, or writing this code or whatever it's uh, maybe slightly kind of softer than that so the point of the product manager in the team is to kind of uh, set a direction or, or set objectives for the team and kind of provide context about why we're focusing on those things so the my typical week involves kind of gathering those different bits of context. So that might be meetings uh, with the business about how we're doing on our targets, um, you know, growth or sales or whatever, how mm -hmm. we're doing in um, our operations teams, like how are things working? Uh, are we missing anything? Uh, how are we doing in the customer success teams? Like what are the common customer complaints that have come up recently? Thinking both about, you know, are we having any particular nasty bugs or anything like that? But also what are we just hearing in general as feedback? Yep. And from there, we might be doing also some kind of direct customer interactions. So doing customer research, um, phone calls, interviews, that kind of thing uh, to see what people think directly from their own mouths rather than kind of via via other places. Okay, so it sounds like you're almost doing a bit of a UX research function at the same time. Is that 
just because you don't have researchers in your team or do you see that as a core part of being a product owner specifically at the moment uh we don't have researchers in the in the team in the in the company I work for because um, we're kind of a slightly smaller startup, so we don't have so many of the people in the, these kind of dedicated roles. So it's definitely part of my job as a product manager to to be doing that. But actually, I think in general, it's completely core. So uh, in the same way, you know, your your UX researcher is the the expert in helping you kind of guide and and manage that research process. But yeah, you shouldn't be kind of leaving it to them and just reading their three bullet points on the PowerPoint afterwards to understand what your users want, because it's completely fundamental to the role that you that you know what the customers need. Yeah, because I guess you, the other side of the role as well is probably you're a bit of a decision maker in terms of balancing all these different viewpoints and requirements and needs from different parts of the business, as well as with the user as well. Yeah, definitely. Like, uh, I can't remember, so, someone once said to me... Um, uh, you need three Ds to uh, make software, a developer, a designer, and a dictator. Um, it's kind of a stupid joke, but the dictator thing, I think, is the kind of product management role in at least so far as they are making decisions on stuff. So you're making decisions on the big, broad level of like, what are we even working on? Uh, yeah. And then maybe down to some more specific uh, things about like, in what order are we going to work on these things? What are the main priorities? Um from, for example, for me at the moment in my role, I'm making decisions on things like copywriting, um, design stuff, and even like pricing, like how much are we pricing this thing on? Uh, so yeah, you're making lots of small decisions and lots of big decisions all the time. Yeah, so I guess the clue's in the title, right? You are the owner of the product. So everything that essentially gets released or built into that product, it's got your name on it, I suppose. And yeah, you won't be letting anything through that you don't agree with or you don't think meets the objectives of i suppose the business and your users yeah exactly that um the classic phrase is uh, that the product owner or the product manager is the single ringable neck uh, in the system so it's like uh obviously the output is like a team effort from everyone from not just you know engineering and design and product but also from the business and marketing and everything like that but when it comes down to it, if there's someone that the finger needs to be pointed at, it's going to be the product person. So that's why you're kind of given this extra incentive to make sure you're on top of all of those things you just mentioned. Yeah, because I've worked in places that haven't had that decision maker type person. And yeah. what tends to happen is you just get analysis paralysis and you're going, should we do this? Should we do that? And because there's no one kind of point of call to make that decision, you end up just going in circles for ages and ages. So it's a reasonably recent-ish job role, I suppose, product owner, maybe even more recent than UX, I would say. Yeah, I mean, that's my impression as well, um, is that it's something that came out of, you know, it used to be uh, sort of in scare quotes, like the business would give design and, and engineering, like here's, here's what we need, like build us a website and we need it to do these five things and whatever, and then kind of shut the door and then come back in a month and see see how you were getting on. Um, and I think that obviously didn't work for kind of reasons we could all guess. So the role of the product manager is to be that. Um, I used to think of it as being like uh, an agent kind of, like you're the go-between for these two different groups. So uh, you know, you're negotiating on behalf of the engineering team and and stuff with the business and like vice versa. So you're taking what the business needs and, and giving that context to the engineering team and you're taking... Mm -hmm kind of the um, constraints and the questions of the engineering team and taking those to the business. So you're making sure everyone's informed about all of those things. And how do you tend to do that? Is that 
sort of group meetings or are you going to people individually? How do you sort of spread that decision-making love around the team? I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure how much love there always is, but uh, <laughs> I, I'm a big fan of, um, this is, I'm, probably people would have different opinions on this, but for me, I like to try and get people together. So I don't see any reason for me to have a meeting with one person to then just shuttle that information over to someone else. Like there's no point in me just being this information conduit. Like we might as well, the three of us be in the room if that's what's going to be needed to to make the decision. Um, So for example, you know, in the same way, like I wouldn't want to have like the designer needs to tell me so that I can tell the engineer who's going to tell me who, so I can tell the the designer back again. Uh, I think it's better to kind of get all of those people together. So for me, if I realize we're coming into one of these situations where we need to, um, yeah, like share some of this information, I try and like arrange a meeting or like if we can do it more informally and just walk over to someone's desk, let's do that. Uh, So yeah, I try and get people together. That's the main thing I'm doing. Yeah, it's quite interesting because you're talking about being that kind of bridge person. I'd say quite a lot of UX people might see their role as being that. So it's being kind of taking obviously the user requirements and the business requirements and then turning it into something that can be delivered. So I suspect there's probably a bit of crossover there, at least in people's perceptions of how these projects move forward. Yeah, I think this, I guess my experience is that, like I really value uh, the UX person or whatever who is on the team who is that kind of real advocate for the user. And, and obviously as a product person, I also have that bit of me as well, but I think the product manager, uh, their kind of responsibility is also to be a bit pragmatic about those things. So I've also had things where the UX person is kind of so, um, I don't know, fundamentalist about, well, the user said this, so we have to do this thing exactly as the user said, otherwise there's no point in doing it. Uh, even when you realize like that's not going to really get us anywhere, like when no other people aren't going to be able to agree to that or it's going to take too long to build. So the product person has to bring that bit of pragmatism. So it's not just about spreading, hey, here are the user needs around the place, but also trying to balance that with like, what does the business need? Uh, you know, what are our priorities? Where are we trying to focus? Yeah, issuing elbow drops right in their face when required. When required, yeah. Uh, what do you, we've just done a podcast on jobs to be done. Yeah. Um, just like an intro thing. Is that something that you're using in your role or something it's, you're familiar with? Yeah, it's something I'm definitely familiar with um, and super interested in. I find it very, um, I think on the on the broad level, the framework is super interesting. Like this whole idea that people hire products to do jobs for them and you know you're not trying to um i can't think of, the classic example is around uh, uh i think it's around milkshakes like you're not uh you're not getting the milkshake because you want a milkshake you're getting it to do a thing and it's because that what they found in their research on on milkshakes was that people were buying them because uh they were hungry in the morning when they were driving to work uh but they were driving so they didn't have like kind of hands free so they could be eating food that would be like spilling all over them. So they wanted something that would kind of fill them up that they could uh, eat or drink with just one hand. Um, and it would be kind of satisfying and, and keep them full. So like, the, so the idea there was like, what's, what are milkshakes competing with there? Like it's not with other milkshakes or with other drinks. It's like actually with food, for example. Uh, I think the other example people give is about the whole, uh, the whole, the whole exactly. That's it. Yeah, I was trying to remember. Yeah. <laughs> why, why do you, why do you get a drill? It's not 
you know, you're not getting a drill to drill a hole. Is that you want the hole in the first place? So is there another way of doing that? Or even beyond that, why do you want the hole? Is it to hang up a picture? In which case, could you get some sticky thing that would hang up the picture? Um, yeah, so, but then again, the drill is quite fun. So that's another <laughs> so reason it makes a I would noise, hire it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it just looks um, cool. Yeah, no, so so to kind of be a bit more succinct on that, um, we definitely are aware of George C. John, and I think it's super interesting. Uh, but I find the top level very useful to remind ourselves, like, why are we doing this thing? What is it that people uh, actually want from this service or from this product? But I, as so often happens with kind of... Um, software development frameworks and methodologies it just descends into templates and uh don't know acronyms and all this kind of thing and i find at that level it gets much less useful yeah agreed uh what are some of the typical issues you face doing your role uh because you're the decision maker you're the one who uh is kind of setting the strategy or, or or the direction for the team. So like literally what, what should we work on next? And that's really hard because, uh, I mean, I think I used to, you can look at lots of companies, um, let's say Twitter, right? Like, and say, how come they haven't added an edit button? Everyone wants an edit button so they can edit their tweets. Uh, how come they haven't done it? And it's not that Twitter haven't thought of it or, or considered it like probably very deeply, but for whatever reason, and I don't know what that reason is because I'm not in those internal discussions, they've decided that that's not an important feature for them. That's not a priority. Uh, they need to focus on other things. And it's really hard for people to, from the outside, to see that and understand why you're making those decisions. So I think from the outside of your product, from your customers, but even from internal teams, like uh, people who aren't directly involved in the decision-making process, struggle sometimes to... Um, maybe they just they disagree with some of the decisions you've made so a big part of my job is to do that kind of communication thing and, and sell people on why are we doing what we're doing like why do we think it's important so at least even if you would have maybe made a different decision you at least understand why we made that decision yeah thinking of a recent example of that so there's a kind of startup bank called monzo here in the uk i'm a big fan of them in general but they had this feature where it basically rounds up your spare change and puts it in like a little side account. So the idea is you can save little and often. Um, but on their recent release of it, in the main sort of feed of your transactions, it only shows the rounded up value. So let's say I spent, you know, £4.50 at Starbucks. It would show that transaction as five quid. So you can't actually match up what you've spent with what's showing up on your essentially your live bank statement so that's quite a hard decision i thought from a user point of view to understand because i would suspect that most people the main thing a bank should do is tell them exactly how much they've spent but obviously not being privy to their decision making process i'll admit i found that a bit irritating that that feature and it's something I had to turn off to make the app usable again. I think there's a little bit of a move these days to push things out quickly and just see how they land rather than necessarily working them through as thoroughly as they should be. I don't know if you've seen that trend. Yeah, definitely. Um and I probably am more on the on the side of like push it out and see how it lands, I reckon. Um but I I, I totally agree like that's a good example that you just gave that I would also find hard to understand. Maybe they had a really good reason or maybe it was just, you know, like, hey, this is taking too long. Let's just go with what we've got. Um, 
that kind of thing. I think something we think about a lot, you mentioned earlier, like this kind of analysis paralysis um, uh, situation where people were sort of desperately trying to look for more data, more signals so that they can um, they can decide what they're working on or, or what's the right decision to make. And I think actually it's what I'd rather do than, than spend lots of time doing that. Like obviously you want to do some analysis, but once you realize like you're, you're kind of deep in the weeds and you're not improving your situation is just try and make the cost of, of getting your decisions wrong, very low. So mm-hmm. just for example, this feature they've released, right? The Monzo one that you were talking about, um, like they put it out there, like maybe, maybe they, they kind of um, got the balance wrong on this one because you've turned it off and it's made you like less happy with the product. But there are lots of situations where you can just put something out there and see like if if this it was the wrong decision, like we can reverse it quite easily. Um, and actually that's the best way of getting your answer rather than trying to guess or do surveys or the, all of this kind of thing. Like let's just put something in front of people and see, see how they react. I suppose it's down to the impact of the change you're making as well. If it's a kind of lesser used feature or something, I'd maybe agree with that. If it's something that more or less is the fundamental proposition of the app. That strategy is potentially quite a lot more risky. Monzo's a little bit different in that kind of customers that use it are early adopters essentially and maybe a bit more open to things being pushed out and just see what happens. But if you're working on a more maybe established product with a slightly older user base or something, if you're throwing out something which changes the way something works at a fundamental level, the chances are, even if it is actually better, the feedback may be quite negative. Yeah, definitely. Um, We talk about this idea as well of like uh, kind of one-way decisions or two-way decisions. Like, so is it going to be something that you can roll back um, with? And that means not just literally technically, can you kind of remove this feature uh, once you've released it, but what's going to be the impact on your like kind of public perception on your users, all of this kind of thing. So what you want to do is mean with the two way decisions, you can like make those quickly and not worry about them too much because you can always easily reverse them. But when you find a, a, a one way decision where like it's going to be very hard or impossible to roll back, then it's worth doing the extra analysis to make sure you're making, uh, making the right decision. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you see as the future of product owner or product manager role? Is it, going to stay the same or is it going to start changing in terms of how we deliver software do you think uh i don't know if, i don't know how like f- far sighted in in this to be like uh in i think there's probably like a crisis to come in software development in general with kind of machine learning and and that kind of thing where we're not a million miles away from a machine learning how to code and make these decisions uh, in a way that we can't so i think that's in the in the long term, I think as with all jobs, we'll see big changes from from that kind of thing. In in the shorter term, I'm not so sure. Um, I think there's a trend to kind of uh, de-specialize in lots of areas. So like with the sort of waterfall um, software development process, like everyone had their had their step in the waterfall, like their their silo, and you would hand things over and over to people, and so every role was very defined, and you know you had your business analysis and then you or sorry research first then your business analysis and then you hand it to do requirements and then that goes to design then that goes to development then it goes to testing uh, then to release like everyone had their role whereas i think in the kind of more agile modern sort of structure people are a bit more um uh responsible for more than just their kind of defined bit so for example like i, I do stuff copywriting that kind of thing um 
where that might have been someone's job individually before. But equally, I think there's no reason why your UX person or one of your engineers might start making more product-based decisions um, if they like have the have the skills for that. So I think we might see a more generalizing of the roles. Yeah, that's quite a, a new career path I'm seeing a little bit of is UX people moving into product owner kind of roles. I guess it's down to what we were chatting about before that maybe previous to the product owner role being around so much, it was the UX people doing this kind of thing and talking to the business and talking mm-hmm. to the users and stuff like that. So there's quite an interesting shift, I think, as people maybe get a little bit more senior in the UX role rather than becoming a head of UX or something, they actually move into product management. Yeah, I mean, I think that makes sense. Like, um, I'm biased probably because it's my job, but I think it's a really, really great job. Like you get to make really important decisions and, and kind of own those things and you have to live and die by this. So like when they go great, then then that's excellent. And when they go badly, then that's kind of on you as well. But um, I think it's very easy to be in a room and see other people, someone else in that room making all the decisions and think, you know, I could do a better job than that. Um, so I'm not surprised that people want to have a go. Mm-hmm. Do you want to tell us a bit about this crazy dog company you work for? So <laughs> I don't really get what it is. Sure. So uh, I work for Dog Buddy. Um, they are... Europe's leading uh, dog care platform. So basically, it's um, the idea, the classic way of pitching like all startups is by comparing them to other startups. So uh, we're like the Airbnb, but for dog care. So um, the idea is that if you have a dog uh, and you're going on holiday and you don't want to leave it with uh, like in a kennels or something like that, um, and you you know you haven't got any family members or friends who can look after the dog, then you can go on the platform, you can search in your area and you can find... Uh, you know, people like who have got reviews and profiles and photos um, mm-hmm. and you can pick someone and think and send them a message and say, hey, like uh, these are the dates. Could you look after my dog? And then you negotiate with them and they come up with a price and, and all that kind of thing. Um, so it works for both both sides. If you've got a dog and you're you need someone to look after it, but equally, if you're someone who really loves dogs and uh, you want to look after them, then you can like offer your services up for for looking after dogs. Okay, cool. Is that just in Barcelona at the moment or is it elsewhere? No, it's in, uh, gosh, I'm going to get in trouble with my marketing manager. Uh, We're in seven or eight countries in Europe. Um, So yeah, in lots of different places, uh, in pretty much all cities in in all of those countries. So we're in Sweden, Norway, uh, the UK, Spain, France, Italy, Germany. I'm probably missing some, but yeah, other places as well. So that's quite interesting then. So you've got a a platform essentially in different regions and territories and stuff. Have you got to align what you're delivering over in Spain with what the other markets are doing or are you all sort of independent entities no, no, we're, essentially? No, no, not at all. We are um, set up as kind of one one product and the different markets, the different countries are um, kind of all part of the same product. So I am the product manager for for all of that. So there's not a product manager for Spain and a product manager for the UK product manager for Germany it's we're one team we do everything um so we do the website uh we do we've got apps on Android and on iOS and also the same team is working on the internal tools so things for support for operations all of those kind of things so it actually makes the job of the product manager super interesting because you're not just prioritizing uh user-facing features but also internal features uh, as well and you're kind of trying to balance things on different platforms um so yeah it makes it very interesting 
Ah, so you are kind of a big cheese then. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's the benefit of being the small team is that you're just the only person. So <laughs> it's not like you're the boss of everything. It's you're the, the biggest cheese there. in a bag of baby bell. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's not saying so much. Um, no, no, but it's, it's, it's very interesting. Um, and actually, it, like I say, it brings up very interesting things on prioritization, having these kind of marketplace uh, syst- systems where you're you have like, um, uh, a bit like with Uber, you have the drivers and also the 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 riders. I think they call them, but you know the people who are using Uber. Yeah. Uh, so you're trying to balance those two sides, who often are going to have kind of conflicting priorities. Like even down on the basic level of like the rider wants it cheaper and the driver wants it more expensive. Um, so how do you like kind of balance those different things? Uh, yeah, it's super interesting. Yeah, sounds cool. Um, do you have any? personalized messages for our mutual friend and listener paula that you'd like to share <laughs> i think um the main thing i would suggest is that everyone follows paula's instagram because uh <laughs> top quality pictures exactly on extremely high quality photos um the any blur is completely deliberate um so i really recommend you get on there yeah back in the wild again i think it is yes exactly yeah um which maybe sounds more exciting than the pictures will actually be you'll see lots of coffees uh but yeah, blurry coffee, blurry buildings of London, uh, yeah. maybe a few blurry selfies. <laughs> That's when you're really lucky. Um, I had a question for you, Chris, actually, as well on on the product stuff. Like, have you, you know, you've worked in lots of different teams. Like, have you had any particular standout good or bad experiences with product managers? Well, you obviously. When yeah, we no, yeah. Together, you, you can count absolute legends. <laughs> Um, I'm trying to think back. Like I said, there's only been a few places that have had product owners, unfortunately, and I need to remember where I've actually worked. Um, <laughs> but in all seriousness, you were, I'd say, the best one. <laughs> not this is not up a setup, because, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> um, just because I think you did understand the different angles and you were able to make decisions on stuff, which was good mm-hmm. and very helpful. I think it's very it's very important to have that that kind of person in a project, as I've said already. Mm-hmm. It really does mean that you can move forward, even if you don't agree with the decision necessarily at the start, as long as the product owner is willing to listen to your side and balance it up with all the other stuff. You know, companies have got to make money at the end of the day, generally speaking, so someone's got to make the big call. Yeah, definitely. I think that's um, a good way of looking at it. Like my best times at work have always been when we are like whatever it is we're working on like if we're making progress and moving forwards and even like you said even if you maybe don't even if you don't agree with the overall direction at least you can see like we're getting somewhere we're doing a thing whereas on the other hand the most frustrating times have been um in the different teams and places i've worked where like you're not making progress and you feel like you're standing still um and like say you're in this analysis paralysis kind of mode and it that can be really frustrating and unfulfilling so i think it's important having someone whether that be the product person or you know your ux designer or your tech lead or whoever to sort of at some point just stop offering opinions and actually make a decision um i think it's super important yeah i think having visibility of how that decision is made helps a lot as well because we all have the kind of ceo poop and swoop which happens (laughs) from time to time and you've spent ages working or something they just kind of fly in and people all over it and fly out again so if you've got someone embedded in your team you know you, most people won't mind if you want to 
kind of quiz them about how they came to their decision if you want to understand it a bit more. Um, usually, if they're any good, there'll be a, a decent reason for it and that can normally reduce your anger levels somewhat. Yeah, definitely. That, that That's like a really uh, good example of, you know, I said it earlier on that like I like to try and get people together. And so I would definitely always want to avoid the situation where after like several days or weeks or months of work, like you then do this kind of big presentation and yeah, you get you get swooped and pooped. Um, uh, like trying to find opportunities to show that stuff a bit earlier or just like uh, even if it's as basic as like printing off designs and pinning them up in the corridor or whatever, like trying to get things in people's faces so that when those final uh, like big presentations come, it's not some big surprise. And it's like, hey, I wasn't thinking of this. I thought it was going to be blue, not red. Yeah. Um, go and do it again. It's like uh, you want to avoid those situations. Cool. Um, I don't have any more questions. Excellent. That's good for me as well, because I talk about it every day. All right. Cool. Well, thanks for joining us. Uh, no doubt we'll have you on again in another year to see if you can improve your answers. Yeah, we'll I'm going to be iterating getting... on them until, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, in the true product, uh, product way, we'll keep iterating on them. All right. Cheers. Search and subscribe to Design Untangled using your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. Follow us on the web at designuntangled.co.uk or on Twitter at designuntangled. Become a better designer with online mentoring at uxmentor.me.